0: began last week a study in the book of Galatians. Um, this is a church that had been established by Paul. It's up in what is present-day, modern-day Turkey, and it's Galatia was a province in that uh, area, a province of the Roman Empire. Paul had gone to various churches there, planted churches, but not long after, there are those who have come in, Judaizers, who have come in and said primarily to Gentile believers, it's good that you believed in Jesus, but you need to do more. You need to keep the Mosaic Law, particularly to be circumcised and to keep various of the regulations. So it's good that you believe in Jesus, but there's something more. So it's Jesus plus. And uh, in this epistle, Paul is dealing with those who are who are perverting the gospel. And he uses very strong language that we just briefly looked at last week. He he says in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. But it's not really a, a different or another gospel. It's no gospel at all. And he uses very strong language. Let such people that preach such a gospel, let them... Be anathema, let them be accursed. Um, And we ended last week just by some introductory comments, and uh, I want to look today at the the greeting, and we touched on this last week, but I want to kind of take this a little further. In verse 3, Paul, as he typically says, is grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here is Paul, from the very beginning, wanting to set the stage that salvation is a rescue mission. And it is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to rescue sinners. We sang in that hymn, Come Thou Fount. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, thou hast brought me to this place. And I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wondering from the fold of God, he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And tonight we consider this great theme that we have been rescued, as he says here, we've been rescued from this present evil age. So Paul is anxious here before he even talks about this, these teachers preaching another gospel, Paul's anxious to get to the point and his concerns for this church and these Judaizers who were saying it's Jesus plus, plus law works or whatever it is, Jesus plus, he wants to make it very clear. That's another gospel and when we think about the gospel, it is about a rescue at Jesus himself brings about, that the gospel brings about. Spurgeon said on this, he said, I can see the great wisdom of the apostle in acting in such a fashion as this. He is about to write to these Galatians concerning their leaving the gospel. What is the best way to make them sorry for turning aside from the faith? Why? To set before them Jesus Christ himself who is the very essence and the glory of the gospel. Look what your Redeemer, Savior, has done. Jesus Christ has rescued you. So he wants to get this into their minds and their hearts from the get-go as he begins this letter. Just think about this. You have been rescued. It's a work that Jesus Christ has accomplished And so he speaks here about the good news of Christ and the gospel. It's a rescue mission to counter the Judaizers who said that it's Jesus plus something else. And he makes it clear that, no, it's Jesus who rescues. He rescues, and this implies, somebody that's being rescued implies their own helplessness, their own helplessness. And it implies being in a position from which we cannot extricate ourselves. We are rescued, and he is the rescuer, and we are the one who is rescued. And so this gospel is about a great uh, rescue mission. And I think we all love stories like that, don't we? We love stories that talk about rescue and how, in a particular situation... Uh, the events that came about to bring about a rescue. A lot of times on 2020 or something like that, we hear these news stories. One of my favorite I've shared often is my neighbor when he was stuck in his septic tank, when he fell into his septic tank, and he, he, was, uh, he couldn't get out. He was stuck there up to his chest in his own waist, And uh, he had a big concrete slab of concrete against his leg, pinning him against the wall. And he was there a couple hours before one of the neighbors, our neighbors found him and called the rescue people, and they all came from everywhere. It was quite a scene, made the news that night. Um, But it was clearly a rescue mission. He could not rescue himself. He would have died there. Uh, It was getting colder in the afternoon. It was late fall. Uh, He would eventually have died had somebody not found him. But it was a great rescue mission. I I shared this a few weeks ago, and Pete Gardner said he was one of the guys that went down in the septic tank. I didn't realize that. Um, But anyway, this is a theme that we have in the Bible of God's rescuing and saving a people for himself. So the gospel is about a rescue. And the word that is used here in verse 4 to deliver or to rescue, I think it might be one of the only places this particular word is used, but we have this idea throughout the Bible, of course, we think of the Hebrews down in uh, Egypt, they were slaves, and what did God do but rescued them, it was a mighty rescue, they couldn't rescue themselves, but God did, by the ten plagues, and then bringing them through the Red Sea, and bringing them um, out of Egypt. We read in Acts 7 of the life of Joseph. And we know all the things that Joseph went through, all the trials and the difficulties uh, as a result of his brothers selling him into slavery. And in Acts 7, it speaks there and says that God delivered him out of all his troubles. It was God who rescued him. It was God who exalted him and did those things. Another rescue is in Acts 12. Peter's in prison, and you remember the angels come, and the doors are open, and here's a rescue. Peter left to himself, could not rescue himself, but there was a rescue that was provided through these angels. And then we read from Luke 19. Here's the rescue of this man, Zacchaeus. Wonderful story. Chief tax collector, but that had a high price to pay to be a chief tax collector because you were ostracized. You were an outcast. And part of the reason he couldn't see Jesus was the crowd, but probably uh, getting up a tree was because he wasn't welcomed in the crowd. He probably got a lot of elbows. Um, But here we are told of this man and how Jesus said he must come to his house And uh, this did not sit well with his neighbors. He said, doesn't he know that this man is a sinner? Everybody knew that. But here Jesus says, as this man says, I'm going to restore fourfold those that I have stolen from. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham, a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, and here it is, to seek and to save that which is lost. So Jesus is on a search and rescue mission. He said, that's why I have come. Not just to seek, but then to actually save, to rescue And Paul put it this way, 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, to save sinners, to rescue them and to deliver them. So why is this so vitally important in the context of these Galatian believers? Well, we are saved through Christ, and it's not by something that we do. He does the saving. He does the rescuing. We are those who are rescued. He does not need assistance. It's not sinners that assist him in being saved. He's not just a benevolent helper to help us save ourselves. And a lot of people look at it that way, that God meets us kind of halfway, and God gives us the help that we need, uh, gives us grace, if you will, so that we can work our way Um, to heaven. Um, So we're not a part of this equation when it comes to being rescued. It is Christ who rescues us. He does his part, um, and we are the beneficiaries of that. So our focus here then is that Christ rescues us. Notice he says here in verse 4, he rescues us from this present evil age. He rescues us from this uh, present evil age. Now, what is this age that is in view here? Well, he distinguishes, I think, from the age that preceded this age. Uh, We think of Genesis 1. It was a garden. It It was a perfect world in which they lived. And it's distinguished from a world that is to come when Jesus will make all things new. We are living in this present evil age. It is a fallen age. It is a world that is under a curse. Um, in Second Peter, there's coming a day, Peter says, when he will make all things new, and he'll bring in new things, but now we're living in this present evil age, and this is the condition of the world in which we are living it is evil paul says it is an evil age now it's no different in our day is it things haven't gotten better it's very clear we too are living in an evil age under the dominion of sin and evil characterizes the age in which we are living as well turn if you will to 1 john 5:19 and we see a little bit here of what has happened as we, if we are in Christ and we have been rescued by the grace of God. John says, 1 John five nineteen we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. An amazing statement. We are of God. We have been born of God. John talks a lot about that. We've been made a new creation. God has saved us. And we are of God. We are children of God if we're united to Christ. And the whole world, those who are outside of Christ, the whole world lies under the sway, under the power of the wicked one. So people are not in a neutral position as they live in this world, if they're not in Christ, there's enmity in their heart toward God. They are under the sway of the wicked one. Paul or Jesus would say to his enemies, the Pharisees in John 8, you are of your father, what? The devil. They thought, you know, we're we're, we're sons of God. We don't need to be saved. We're the children of Abraham. We don't need you to rescue us. And Jesus says, no, you are of your father, the devil. He is the God of this world. Um, The God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says there that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. He has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. And left to ourselves. that would be us, wouldn't it? We recognize that, I hope, that we too are under the sway of the devil. And our eyes, left to ourselves, we would be blinded. Turn to another passage 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul in this chapter says that he endures all things for the sake of the elect. And uh, let's see. Verse, let's go back to verse 23. He's telling Timothy to flee from youthful lusts, to live in godly ways, and avoid, verse 23, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all and able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. And notice this statement. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape, notice this, the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is, again, what Christ has done for us to open our blind eyes. He is the one who has given us light and given us understanding and redeemed and saved us from ourselves and our own foolishness, but also the God of this age. And so here is a world that is opposed to God, that does not know God. Romans 1 tells us that uh, men of this world are those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth of God is all around us. The world is declaring the glory of God, the creator. And what do men do but suppress that truth? Even the law that is written upon their heart, they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And so God in grace has been kind and gracious to grant repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. This is a part of this rescue of what God has done for us. deliver us from this present evil age, the spirit of this age. So Paul's day is no different than our day, nor the days of Noah when God judged the world. We might say it was even worse then, and we feel like it's getting worse now, but it is this present evil age, and that's an appropriate way to describe the world that is around us. And we think of all the things that we see going on in our world, in our culture, and a lot of changes, cultural changes in our own world. Um, We recognize that it is an evil age. I forgot to mention we should pray for Elijah and their school. They're going to Washington this week for March for Life. Um, So pray for them. But, you know, we think about our country. and. I don't know what the statistic is. I think it's 130,000 abortions a day or something like that. It's unbelievable to think that a woman would kill the very child in her womb. That's just one of the signs that we are living in an evil age. Um, So here is Paul. Paul. Telling these believers what God in His grace has done in Christ. um, That He has rescued us. He's made us alive together with Christ. Spurgeon again says, we are living in this present evil world. And as Paul called it by that name, we need not alter the phrase, for we cannot help knowing that it is still an evil world. And in it our God's redeemed and chosen people by nature, part and parcel, are part and parcel of that world, equally fallen, equally estranged from God, equally set on mischief, equally certain to go down into the pit of destruction if left to themselves. The object of Christ is to carve out a people for himself. Do you ever think about if God left me to myself, had God not intervened in my life, where would my life be today? What would my life be like apart from the saving grace of God? You think upon that and, you know, you realize it could go in many, many different directions. The God in his grace, if we be in Christ, he has rescued us. He's rescued us from ourselves and he has rescued us from this present evil age. So what is its destiny? Well, it's under the judgment and the wrath, the condemnation of God. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress that Pilgrim leaves the city of what? Destruction. And he's headed for uh, the heavenly uh, city. And... uh, So this world is passing away, John says. Don't love this world and all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Don't love this world because this world is passing away. This world that we see around us, it's passing away. And uh, there is a new day that will come with the Lord Jesus Christ where there will be, as Isaiah says, and then Peter picks up on this, there will be a new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered. Think about that. We are longing and looking forward, living in the hope of a new creation that Christ himself is going to bring about, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where righteousness dwells. And uh, that is our great hope. So what has Christ done for us? Well, Paul tells us here that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. This is what Christ has done. He gave himself for us. There are wages for our sin, but Christ has paid the wages, the debt due to us because of our sin and gave his life. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and it is by his death for sin that sin's power has been broken and sin's mastery has been defeated um, and he has rescued us and made us to be his own. Jesus sought me, When a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. So here is what he has done for us, and he's made us to be, as Peter says, a kingdom of priests, God's own special people, a holy people set apart unto him, redeemed and bought by the land. All, All of that prefigured in the Old Testament, wasn't it? With the exodus and the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost. It is Christ who has rescued us to be his own special people, people zealous for good deeds. What a glorious rescue that Christ has brought about. So, What does this mean for us? How then should we live? It was one of the questions that one of the men asked this morning as we met with them in the Sunday school room. If gospel is about God's grace and about his forgiveness and all of your sins are forgiven, then kind of the question, I guess, do you remember how he worded it? Yeah, yeah. so then why would anyone want to live holy or live in a godly way. And we were trying to share with him that it's you, as you come to know the glory of Christ and this rescue that he has brought about, that is, becomes the motivation to turn from your sin and to seek to live in a, a godly way. And Paul deals with that in Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, absolutely not. And so the rescue calls for praise and adoration to God and to God alone. And Luther said, if our sins could be removed by our own efforts, what need was there for the Son of God to be given for them? Since Christ was given for our sins, it stands to reason that they cannot be put away by our own efforts. And so we rest in him and, and we worship him and we give honor and praise and glory. To him. An old hymn that we sometimes sing I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords to me. I pray that we're coming to know that more and more in our life. That we hold on to the things of this world loosely. And that Christ is our treasure. We treasure him and we worship and we give thanks. And it's a call for us to, to therefore serve him. He loved us and he gave himself for us. And so we should, ourselves, in response, love and serve him. For you were formerly darkness, Paul says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, learning what is pleasing to God. May God, by his grace, make us to be more and more aware of what has taken place to rescue us through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done, that we might live differently than this present evil age. Romans 12 calls us to that, doesn't it? I beseech you, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world. It's way of thinking, it's way of living, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so may God, by his grace, make us to be such a people as that. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with the word of prayer.